This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... Oh, I love it. Great stuff. Yeah, you look like a... Just like a rich cowboy came riding in off the farm. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. I feel like we haven't done a comedy show in a while, Nikki. We have not done a comedy show in a while, Thomas. But I feel like comedy shows for us, like for when we do them for this podcast, are very much like horror movies. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, they go away for, like, a really long time. And then, like, sporadically, like, some random month, like, April, like, six horror movies come out at once. And you're, like, going, well, where the hell were these, like, back in October? Right. Like, when it should have been <laughs> horror movie time. But, no, we're in the middle of April now, and here comes, like, six six horror movies all at once. Well, I wouldn't care about that because I don't like horror movies. See, I love horror movies. I love comedians. And we were so goddamn lucky this week to actually have one on our show. We were. We caught one. We caught one hook, <laughs> line, and sinker. A little catch and release action? <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Let's, let's not give it away. Maybe we released. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we didn't. <laughs> maybe we kept her in our pocket. <laughs> it could be the girl under the stairs. Whatever. Ooh, I well, hope so. <laughs> I hope she's not as creepy as the girl under the stairs. Well, whatever. Like, look, man. Like, you take what you can get in this city. Anyway. It's better be- than a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> true, true. All right. So, listen. Before we start getting involved in, like, the whole interview, which we which we had, why don't we get into your herd? So, this week's You Heard comes to us via the phone lines. Ooh. Before my... Which I can't wait to talk about. I know. (laughs) Before I was able to hit... So, this is like a little bit of foreshadowing, okay, Mm. people? Mm. So, before I was able to hit record on the interview I was doing, for reasons you'll soon find out, (laughs) my interview subject was like... Oh, hey, I just found like a great cafe for us to talk, but I got kicked out because there started to be a leak in the roof. So that was my, that's my this week's you heard. I obviously have no comment for that one. Well, then. Moving along. So, it's Friday. 
It and is finally, <laughs> finally, finally Friday. And if we sound delirious, we are. Oh, my God. Nikki's coming off a nine-day work week. A nine-day work week. <laughs> this is after working midnight to 8 a.m. for a solid month in a row. So the delirium is definitely to the point the of setting The delirium is beyond, like... I don't even know where I like what happened today. I know what happened, but oh my God, what today was. That's going to be a whole show. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm just, you know, it's, it's weird because like right now I'm like thinking to myself, like what the hell happened this week? But I know by the end of the weekend, I'm really not going to be able to tell anything that happened during <laughs> the weekend. This week will be a distant memory by the time we're done with the show. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Matt, I'm a little bit upset. And I'm a little bit joy. I'm I'm kind of torn, to be honest with you. Tell me why. Last night, I was at the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards. Yes, At Carnegie Hall in New York City. Just brushing elbows with the best and the brightest of the creative world of tomorrow. Yeah, I know. You're jealous. I am. It really was an amazing experience. And the speeches were awesome well tell us a little bit about the awards tom well the awards are basically given to like literally the best of the best creative minds out there in high school right um from seventh grade i believe i believe it's seventh grade through 12th grade Mm. and what happens is um teachers will submit their students in everything from poetry to painting to drawing to um animation film photos like you name it man like it there's a award for everything including like you know best portfolio and show i mean it it was it was depressing in a way because i'm looking at all these kids and i'm like oh man i really want to be an artist again one day (laughs) (laughs) and you know there was all these speeches and um you know, Alec Baldwin actually was there. He opened the show. I love Alec Baldwin. I know you do. I know you do. And as long as you don't have a camera around him, <laughs> I think you're safe because he seemed like a nice guy <laughs> there. But I didn't see any paparazzi in the crowd. So that maybe that's kept him like, you, you know. You didn't see any paparazzi, but you did see... I think I saw Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> like, I really think I saw Jeff Goldblum like walk right past me. And I could be completely wrong. But I really, re- I honestly believe that I saw Jeff Goldblum. Well, and you said that audience. everybody looked at him and, and stuff. And everybody looked at him and the guy waved and everything. And I was like, holy crap. I go, well, I think Jeff Goldblum just walked past me because I texted you and told you. I was like, this might have been a good show. And then what did I say? What did you say? What did I say when you said that? I'm like, did you call him Rupert is what I said. Oh, yeah. And I was like, no. And then I said, did you call him Rupert? And I didn't. Don't mind if I do. But, you know, one of the things, Alex Baldwin, when he was giving his speech, because he was the first one to give his speech. Mm -hmm, Of course. He was like, you know, you can be creative in this world and stay creative. And then over time, you realize that your passion isn't paying the bills. So you'll take jobs that you have to take, like being graphic designers or working in advertising so that you can continue your passion of real arts. And in my head, I'm thinking, what, that's not real art? What the hell am I doing, man? (laughs) Like, seriously? 
seriously, I'm like, my, my job is that fake. Alec Baldwin is like, just totally just give me a dig from like 100 miles away. Because I was literally in the last row of the Art and Writing Awards. Right. Like the last row of you Carnegie You were in the Hall. nosebleeds of Carnegie Hall. But I kind of wanted to be because I didn't, I didn't want to be taking any room away from the parents and the teachers that were right. there to celebrate the kids, number one. Because there was like 200 kids, right? Oh, yeah. And I wanted to be far enough away where I could see everything. everything. Like, I want to just oversee it all. Because, I mean, honestly, if we didn't have a fantastic guest this week, as you guys will all hear, we would have done a whole show on the Art and Writing Writing Awards for Scholastic. That would have been a whole show. So, just to give you a quick rundown, um, Alec Baldwin was there. Tim Gunn was there from Project, Project Runway. Runway, and his speech was fantastic. Ken Burns was there, the documentary filmmaker. Yes. His speech, and and it was so weird because he went up there and he he just didn't look like he was going to be prepared, but he is so intelligent. Yeah, he is. Where it was just like, is this your is this your discussion flow? Like I, my discussion flow sounds like you know diarrhea of the mouth (laughs) and i seriously have to like think things out before i say them which is the reason why we have an outline for every week's show (laughs) because if like we literally just started this show like a few minutes ago and before we did we will i had a different opening and nikki's like well let's just like you know we'll just freestyle it and I was like, oh, we'll just freestyle it, Willie. I'm like, all right, you lead, I'll follow. And then it was all of a sudden we looked at each other like, yeah, let's come up with an idea to talk about before we go. Because we just need it. This guy was just so, I, I don't know, like he could just pull ideas out and just, it just sounded so fluid. You know how like Eddie Trunk, like on, what's that show? That metal show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how they have like Stump the Trunk or Stump the Stump, what's his name? Stomp on Trump. Stump the trunk. Stump the trunk. Yeah, it's like where they try to like, because he's supposedly like this expert at everything, like this metal and shit. I would love to see somebody like go up against like Ken Burns and just be like asking him historical questions. He would annihilate anybody. It It was so weird. They were showing his body of work because he won, I guess, the Achievement Award, the Alumni Achievement Award. So he was a winner of the Arts and Writing Award. Uh, When he was younger. And then it was an alumni Mm -hmm. award they gave to him. And they were just showing documentaries. Now, usually when you're watching documentary, you know, documentary people, it's like going, here are these eight awesome bodies of work. This thing could have just went on for like freaking hours because it was just documentary, a right. documentary, documentary. And he's so done many. like across the board. Like he's done Everything. like the Civil Everything. War is the first thing that comes to my mind. Then he did like baseball, like he, or he like Jackie Robinson or something like that. And then like he just he's so like eclectic with like the, the things that he chooses as subjects. Oh yeah, and and I and I know a lot a lot of people because you know they were very like. Um, social media positive. They were asking people, like, tweet this out. Like, you know, we're celebrating these kids. Like, go on, take the Twitter, take the Facebook, take the, like, whatever social media thing you're on and, like, talk about this and, like, you know, praise these kids for this incredible job that they've done. And um, and that's awesome because that's that's a yeah. medium that the kids know. That's, right. like, the only the medium that they it's know. The yeah. 
and and the fact that they were promoting it as opposed to put your phones away, no talking, no right? And, and I mean, nobody was talking and being rude and stuff like that. But I mean, you just go through and you could see like all these tweets, and they kept checking back with like the social media command center that they had set up command in the back center. of Carnegie like Hall. Uh, well, it's New York, man. Everything in this city is a command center. Ever since 9-11, I feel like. Every, you know what I mean? It's like somebody used the word command center. Now everything that, look, if it's going to be official, it's got to be a command center. We're going to have the social media hub. No. We're going to have the social media command center is what we're going to have. Or it's just not going to have impact. We're coming at you live from the command center of the High Regard Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's our command center. Do you hear like bongos in the background? Or something? <laughs> Not quite yet. It's, it's too hot out. It's too if hot out. If you listen hard enough, you might hear a nasty ass cat yelling. <laughs> Either that or a, a or a very close siren. There's always a siren <laughs> proximity. There's always a siren. Yeah. Ugh. But you know it was weird because so many people when they were tweeting and putting out on Facebook, there you know as they were going at their, like the live streams, it was all everybody was in love with Tim Gunn. They loved him. And he was very charismatic. Oh, he is very charismatic. Very straightforward. Like, he was just, you And well-dressed. Well, yeah. Well, he said, he goes, up to a half hour before the show, he changed three times. And I was like, here's a fashion guy. Only a fashion guy would bring a trunk with three different suits in it <laughs> to, like, a show. Because I'm just not sure what I'm feeling up the last minute. Me, I was like, hmm, what pair of pants am I going to fit into? Those are the ones I'm going to wear. Same. And I feel like I was greased up and slipped in the sausage casing because I haven't worn, like, a dress clothes in so long. No joke. Well, you looked very handsome. Well, thank you very much. Nobody saw from the back row, I mean, unless they had binoculars. But that's cool. Maybe they did. Mm, probably not. They, I bet you they saw Jeff Goldblum before they saw me. <laughs> but whatever. Rupert. Yeah. But for me, Ken Burns was the highlight. And my boss, basically, Dick Robinson, who, like, is, like, the now owner of Scholastic. Mm-hmm. His dad started this, you know, started the first Scholastic magazine back during World War One. This was the 93rd award show. Wow. And when he came out, he explained the origins of the award show, which was his dad was had the magazines. They, you know, the first magazine, it wasn't doing that great. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started going around to the public schools and saying, what can I do to get you guys to invest in our publication? And the schools were, if you can find a way to make kids feel as important as we make athletes feel, we'd back you 100%. And then that's when his dad came up with this award show to kind of promote creativity in the arts. That's incredible. Like, that is just so mind-blowing. Well, what's even more is incredible is we, we get press releases all the time. First annual this, first annual that. But you never hardly see, like... Second annual, whatever. Like, it's the first annual, and then it ends. And then 93rd (laughs) annual. Like, that's ridiculous. It's crazy. Like, longevity is long gone. Like, seriously. Like, you don't see things. I mean, we've had discussions in the past. Well, there goes one. (laughs) We've, We've had discussions in the past about people who've been, you know, on jobs who, you know, think that they're going to get a job at a big company and then retire from this company. Right. But at the end of the day, those jobs don't exist anymore. You don't go into a job and then retire from it. Just like 
you don't have, you know, a first annual something and expect that it's going to be around in 93 years. There's just no Right, longevity. you kind of hope that it has, like, you know, a couple year run and then, like, you know, it'll fade away. But, like, yeah, like, you don't get into it and be like, I'm going to be here 100 years from now. Like, that is a huge. Yeah, it was nuts. And hearing his speech, him talking about his dad and how the award mm-hmm. started and everything, was, it was like, yeah, man, it makes me proud to be there. And I've heard Dick Robinson talk a bunch of times at work for, like, different work events sure. and stuff like that. <laughs> and we get a much different Dick Robinson. The one that we get is, like... This year's numbers are this and this and, and and you know he's very monotone. He's he's just very straightforward. He just tells you the facts of what it is. He doesn't try to candy coat anything. Right. He's just very. He's just very business. Sure, of course, because he would have to be. And he was pretty business for the start of this speech as well. However, the whole I've never seen. The reaction to the books that we represent and the magazines that we represent. Mm-hmm. He started like reading down the list of like Clifford and, you know, then he would go into like Captain Underpants and mm-hmm. the Magic Treehouse and just started listing like all these different things. Sure. And by the time he got to Harry Potter, which is like, you know, like the. It was insane to watch an outside crowd because you get so so like wound up in the everyday sure that you forget the good things that yeah yeah. you kind of forget that like man you're working for a company that actually has impacted lives of kids who've carried that with them forever forever man like whenever i would wait for you like i'm getting all like worked up i'm getting all worked up again And this is the reason why I stopped having the conversation with last night. I was like, God damn it, we can't even have this conversation because I can't even deal with this shit. Because <laughs> to a kid who grew up in the middle of nowhere, whose friends who like, you know, couldn't see their friends a lot because they lived out in the middle of nowhere and stuff, like books who wasn't particularly good at sports like her brother was, who didn't want to be good at sports, who didn't like doing physical things. Like, I just like to curl up with a book. So like Scholastic was a huge part of my life. And like when that like when the when like this when we'd have the book fairs and everything. Yes. That like was such a big deal to me. Because I could pick out, it was like the bookstore came to me. Well, that was the same deal with me too, because we didn't have. I mean, you got to think like going back, there was no Barnes yeah. and Noble or anything there was like not that. Even a, there, there was, was no, no bookstores. There was tiny little bookstores. Maybe they had a couple of kids' books, and most of them were just like golden books and stuff like that. And then here would come like this like circus would park yeah. in the middle of your school hallway and it would just be colors and just illustrations and art and just all these oh things around and toys and it's just like it man the, the fairs were just mind-blowing and i mean when you think back of your like school memories that's one of them that are going to yeah. stand out no matter that's who you like, are or where you come from that's like the best school memory that i have like grade school memory that's like the best like, that's up there as, like, the best educational memories that I have. Uh, same here. And it's just weird that now I'm there. But, you know, on the everyday thing, you're, like, in the marketing department, you're thinking to yourself, like, all right, I'm not I'm not getting, I'm not getting right, the shows anymore. Seeing, I'm not seeing it. 
Yeah, because you're seeing, you know, your you you have a very narrow focus because you're focusing on your aspect of this larger entity. Yeah, I'm trying to make all those kids buy this shit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Keep us in biscuits. So, you know, spring tends to jumpstart the creative process. The hard part is riding that wave until the following spring. Sure. And, and that was, I feel like, the opening to a creative, a creative portal. Like, I feel like every spring there's, like, something that comes up creatively where I'm, like, going, man, I'm inspired. And then by the time November comes rolling around, I'm just, like, going, man, I'm fucking exhausted. I just don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, as soon as sure. April comes back around yeah. or May or June, like, I'm back it's in. It's because the, the, spring, yeah. you're sp- like, it's the rejuvenation of the earth. Like, it's just, it's a rejuvenating time of year. Right. But because I was at the award show last night. Yes. Bringing it full circle. I was not able to be a part of this week's interview. No, you were not. So, I mean, and it sucks because we really have an amazing guest, professional actress slash comedian, Katina, say it. Correo. Correo. It doesn't look like that. The spelling. I know you yelled at me three times before the show started, but like I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. All right, I didn't yell at you. Well, my you God. know what I mean. You cracked the whip for Christ's sakes. So, how was the interview? Since I missed it, I want, like I said earlier, I want to just keep her in my pocket because she was an absolute delight. Like she was just, like the word that I would use to describe her is just effervescent. Like, she's like, you drop in that little tab in the water and just, and like, it's just like, so energetic. And like, she, because we watched her show, um, she released a, um, the video footage of her first out, her first comedy album that she released last year called Hot Date. Which kicked ass on the Apple iTunes chart. Yes, it went number one on the Apple iTunes (laughs) comedy chart. And she like, so she released the video footage from it. And, you know, she, as you're watching it, she's like so animated and so, and like, and I'm like, okay, like, that's great. You know, like, I wonder how it's going to be like when we get her on the phone and she's exactly the same person (laughs) on stage as she is on the phone. Like, and it's just, it's incredible because she just has this like kinetic energy. And I was just like, oh my God, I got off the phone. I was just like, ah, like I was like crackling because she was just so effervescent. It's 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 almost as if she has like a life lust. Yeah. Where she's just like, you know what? I'm just it just seems like she's always positive. And I feel like we've well all that at one point in time, but it's somehow through her adult years she's she lasted, managed to yeah. hold on to it. Where yeah. we all were like, fuck it. Yeah, and like <laughs> and as I was doing my research, like one of the things I found so so fascinating and impressive is that like she has a humongous resume of copywriting, you know, like in the advertising world. And that is just like a dream of mine to like make turn that corner to in my career to like, you know, become a copywriter for an ad agency and just like create, you know, those like just do things like create like write about products and and campaigns and things like that. And it was just like she worked with so many different people, but her heart is on the stage. And you can definitely tell while she's up there mm-hmm. because <laughs> it's kind of funny because you could see her starting to laugh at her jokes before she finishes yeah, her punchline. Right? And she's like, <laughs> and it's not a conceited thing, but she's kind of laughing like, I know it's good. 
I get it. But I don't even know if it... I just think she just makes herself laugh. And if you can't make yourself laugh, like, that's... I, I think that's, like, a big thing. If you can't do that as a comedian, like, I just well, think, like, you have to be able to make yourself laugh. Well, you see, I have a feeling that a lot of comedians can make themselves laugh, but what it takes to make a comedian laugh is usually stuff that would make other people completely cringe. Yeah, maybe. Because you're trying so hard to, like, you know, meet a general audience and, like, keep them captive and, and just trying to, like, what's going to make the audience laugh? Where, to me, it's it's all dark. Of course. You're a very dark soul, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> With that, why don't we roll our fabulous bean footage of this week's interview with Katina. So, of course, you know, we're talking to you because you just released, you know, the video from um, Hot Date. So, was, you know, was it always, you know, the plan to release the video of that? Well, Actually, no, um, it wasn't. It just sort of, this one, so it sort of, everything just happened organically. But I noticed, you know, when I was listening to it, I feel like I'm so visual with my expressions and just, I, I just felt like, God, this would be something that would, would almost be a little more exciting for me <laughs> to see it. Because <laughs> a lot of times I'll do it all. I'll like I'll do these little asides and and right. and I'm I'm like oh I hope everybody got that you know you're in that case when you do that <laughs> <It's> like, right <laughs> so I just thought this would be um yeah I just like I, I if, with this I I learned as I went along I would do something and then if it was successful I thought oh I'm so great at this and then and if something went wrong I'm like what am I doing you know. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I can totally imagine. I mean, and that's definitely that was like one of the questions I was going to ask later because you are so animated on stage Aww, and you're so energetic. You know how does how do you keep that energy up? Well, you know, I I get so excited to perform. This is where my nerd's going to show. But like <laughs> I, you're like oh, that happened when you called me. But I I really do get so excited on stage, and it's like. I I I'm glad that comes through because it's really how I feel and I think um I've never been a good person to try to act like too cool for school like it's like <laughs> I'm not and I let it show <laughs> right up to that so <laughs> um I really am any opportunity I mean I would laugh and I would say that I love auditioning because it's like just a little it's like a little performance you know what I mean? Like they have to watch right. you. Right. They're just sitting there. <laughs> Let's hope they watch you. But um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think many people would say that they love the auditioning process. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you go into it and you're thinking to yourself, you know, they're they're already probably gonna say no. You know what I mean? Like, so you might as well have fun with it because it is such a, you know, it's it's such an interesting process and. Um, I always laugh, you know, with my friends. I have, you know, some friends who are doctors or lawyers, and I'm like, oh, this Kleenex commercial. Like, what do they want? You know what I mean? 
that, that, you know, when when did you realize you were funny? Like, when did you know that, like, yeah, I might be able to turn this into something? Yeah, I, that's 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 awesome. And um, I I think I had a lot of encouragement in college. My theater director. Um, I went to a really small school, um, and my theater director just really encouraged me to, to I never even knew what improv was, you know, to take improv classes and sort of hone hone your skills. I think I was always very outgoing and I tried right. to translate that into comedy, but until you really have that experience getting on stage, I think you don't even realize what you're getting yourself into and how <laughs> and how difficult you know I I it is difficult sometimes to, to to be funny because you know we're all at a at a cocktail party and we all have those moments where we say something great and it's so funny but when you have to entertain someone for an hour you realize quickly <laughs> you really have to work on what you're saying right. and not just get up there and be the goof Right, right. And, you know, what do you remember from, you know, your early days? Like, do you remember your first show or your first open mic? I do. Um, I when when I first started comedy, they the bringer shows were a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you would have to. I mean, I remember having to bring twenty five people to a show, and and the audience loved me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was like all my friends and family. I remember. I think I brought like forty people. <laughs> and and then after that show, I remember they said, oh, we really liked you. Would you come back? And I'm thinking, like, they think I'm hilarious. But it's because I was going to bring 40 people, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I remember um, – God, that's such a good question. Um, I, I do remember just feeling like it's the one thing that I can do that I can control – because when 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 I really started out as an actor, you know, like wanting to mm-hmm. be an actor and auditioning, and it was so hard because you either got the job or you didn't. And with right. stand up, it was like I had an opportunity to show them what I have. So it was just like kind of freeing and exciting, and and also you you're so green, you just like do stupid things that you would never do <laughs> any other time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. And, I mean, our my, my co-host, who unfortunately couldn't be on this call, um, you know, he just took a class at Gotham, and he, you know, okay. did, a, did a couple shows at Gotham. And, sure. you know, so he we went through the whole process of burner shows and, the, you know, how wonderful they are and oh, everything. Right. And, and one thing that I noticed lately is, like, because we used to go to comedy shows, you know, a couple years ago, and, like, people were laughing and enjoying, and now it's, like, it seems so brutal. Like, people are going to clubs, but they don't want to laugh. How yeah. are you noticing that as well? You know, I think I think you do notice it a little bit, but I, I do think um, part of what I like to do and, and what a lot of comedians do is, like, you really that's when you really work hard and mm-hmm. and and speak to the audience as opposed to like have a conversation with the audience as opposed to I'm just going to get up here and tell my jokes and pretend you're not there. So right. I think like when you feel like they're being they're being tight or they're not engaged, I think it's like your job to work hard to really engage them. Right. Um one of the things that um makes me laugh is um 
you know, uh, there's that, that was a documentary comedian like 100 years ago. I'm mm-hmm. quoting a comedian. <laughs> and there was something in there um, where uh, the guy said, um, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I can't make people laugh at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and I always just think, like, well, you better. Like, that's your job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think once the audience likes if they like you, then then that's that's a good that's good. If they like mm-hmm. you right off the bat, that's really good because then you can work with that. So even if they're being resistant, you can work that in. Right. And, and right now, you know, I noticed like uh, we've been going to shows because he's been doing you know his comedy thing, and yeah, you know, have you like talked about politics or anything like that because it seems like those jokes fall so flat right now because nobody's oh, laughing at this. Like, nothing funny about <laughs> exactly. Like it's really getting scary in fact. <laughs> um, you know, I don't I, I guess I, I don't want to say I don't talk about it. I don't I don't like right now I'm not really talking about anything which I know is ridiculous because we are in such a um, a state where there's plenty of material. Um, I'm not, I, I tend to, this is going to sound narcissistic. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that coming from a comedian, but no, it's like, I talk about myself. Like I talk about, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I have an experience, somebody said that to me once. They were like, now do you talk about it? I'm like, no, I just talk about me and what's happening in my, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you work with what you know, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> God, I love myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. So as you were coming, you know, up, you know, did you have any horror stories about open mics? Because they just seem, like, so frightening. They, yes, they are. Um, And I will tell you that I went to one open mic, and I never went back. Um, (laughs) I had a bad experience, and it scared me so much. I went with them. Uh, some comedians and it was it was just like everything went wrong I had to pick a number I was number one I didn't really know what was happening (laughs) one of the comedians heckled me like this is you know like it was like the only person who I knew outside of my friends and like he said something silly and it just like tripped me up but I was I was really lucky to be a part of this group called it was like a comics round table and Mm -hmm. basically what we did was um, we would get together once a week, we would do our stand-up for each other, give each other notes, and then go to shows with each other. And, like, sometimes they would book shows specifically with us in mind. So I would perform at Stand Up New York, even if it was a 7 o'clock show, like an early show, mm-hmm. but it was like you were there with people who were supporting you. No, and then after that, I was involved in this other group called the Comedy Social, and we had a show every Wednesday night. So it just seemed like I followed this path where I was around a lot of support and a lot of positive Mm. energy, which I feel like I got really lucky. (laughs) Right, absolutely, absolutely. Because the the open, you know, I mean, there are some very supportive, positive open mics, um, I didn't find that when I was doing right. I certainly didn't. And, you know, and I felt like, well, this isn't even helping me. It's just making me nervous, and right. it's not really helping me. It's I, I, I work better when someone's like, 
that's working, that's not working. Right, when they treat it just kind of like organically and work, exactly. work through it together, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, the New York comedy scene definitely does seem, you know, kind of brutal um, to an extent, you know, and if you don't get into, a, you know, a group that's kind of supportive like you did. Sure, and, and you know, and I mean, listen, of course it's not all like sunshine and roses all the time, but, you know, I don't mean to make it sound like, oh, it's just sounds amazing, but these microphones just popped up in the sky, you know, but um, I do think that um, you sort of have to force yourself to follow the good energy, because mm-hmm. if you don't, then then that's where I think you can get into trouble, but I mean, I I found... I found great people, and I tried to just surround myself with really good people and people who I could learn from and who could learn from me. And I really um, tried to approach it just like if it was a job. I mean, that's right. how I look at it. You know, it's like this is our job. Oh, God. Somebody almost ran over me. Sorry. Um, <laughs> New York is such an amazing – oh, my God. Um but yeah, I just looked at it as a as a job. Like this is who do I want to hang out with? Who do I want to surround myself? What are the best shows? I want to. What do I want to aspire to be? Who do I want to hang out with? You know, that's kind right. of how I looked at it. Right, and you have such an extensive copywriting resume as well. You know, so oh, thank you. Yeah, like I was looking at it, I was like, wow, like that's <laughs> incredible. You know, so you're such a a jackie of all trades, I guess. Aww. <laughs> thank but, you so much. Oh, you're welcome. But do you approach, you know, the writing that you do for like a copywriting job, say, or you know, a show writing job? Do you approach that differently than you do writing for, you know, comedy? Like, how does that process differ? Well, I I really do, I really do look at it the same way. And I've noticed that, I mean, and I've had some copywriting jobs that were painful, you know, like pharmaceutical copy where you just want to jump out the window. Right. A lot of, a lot of times there, you know, people are excited that you're not this super technical because everybody wants to, to, to read something in layman's terms. They want to understand right. it. So I think being having the ability to write stand-up where you're talking to an audience really helps you in any writing job because it allows you to make everything personable. And you can take something like, you know, health care or whatever other boring things you're writing, you know. Right, right. <laughs> whatever technical <laughs> things you're writing about and – and just make it a little more conversational. So I would say I I do approach it. I mean, every now and then I have to pull back because they're like, sure. you know, this is a fibromyalgia medicine. You can't be making jokes. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, I but if you could, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, yeah. You know, the advertising world in New York is you know renowned for being so difficult to get into, as is you know the comedy world for a lot of people. You know, so what was tougher, the comedy world or the advertising world? <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny that because sometimes, like, when I'm, you know, really getting in those moods where I'm like, what is happening with my life? I'm like, well, I'm only trying to, like, make it into these ridiculous feel. you know, trying to live in New York, like, build all these things up. Um, I mean, they both have their – they both have their challenges, certainly, but I – 
as much as I love writing, performing and acting is so much more important. So I almost feel like when when something didn't go right, the pain hurt more when it came from a comedy thing or an acting mm-hmm. thing. So I think I was allowing I, I was allowed to be much more resilient in copywriting because that's not really where my heart was. Right. <laughs> if I can be totally honest, that's it. You do what pays the bills, right? Right, right. <laughs> and do you think, because, you know, you've been you've been in the comedy world, you know, and the writing world for, for you know, a number of years. Long time, yeah. How has social media helped or hindered, you know, helped oh. and hindered, you know, the industry? Right. Well, I... I love it. I mean, now I am a little bit on the grandma side. Like, I'm a much better Facebooker than I am Twitter, and Snapchat scares me. <laughs> you know, so when I think social media, I think more of like my Facebook status and reconnecting with people. But I mean, I think it's been fantastic. It's like all of a sudden you have an audience. You have people that you're reaching with your comedy, whether it's you're making a video or you're doing a Facebook status or you're just, if you use it to your advantage, which I'm sure I could go 10 times farther, but to use it and and to use it to your advantage and make it fun and not like it's just this, this thing that I'm doing that's just like, it's like, I think it's awesome. I think it's just so cool. And I think it's so cool to to be yourself and and put yourself out there and and relate to people who are comedians and also to your mom friends or your friends who have jobs as mm-hmm. lawyers or bankers like you're just reaching a whole group of people um and also people think of you then people will think of you for jobs oh i saw something on facebook that reminded me of you <laughs> you know and vice versa, I could see someone, I'm like, oh, God, I have to go see them perform. I forgot how much I love them, you know? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it does, definitely does help, and it gives you, like, to people that never might have been able to see you if you didn't do a show in their town that's or something right. like that. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. great. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that they are just waiting with bated breath for another video. <laughs> no. yeah. But, like, you know, you're sending stuff, you're reaching out. Yeah, I think it's exciting. Yeah, that is that is I think that's really great. And I have to ask, you know, you know, the nosy next door neighbor that you'd want to be, you know, what sitcom would you have loved to have been a nosy next door neighbor? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you're too young to remember this, but there was a show called The Hogan Family and Edie McClurg played Mrs. Poole. Yeah, I know. I remember. Okay. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I'm so excited you just said that because, like, sometimes I'll talk about Nellie from The Little House on the Prairie and people are like, what are you talking about? You know. <laughs> um, but she was just, you know what I loved about her? She was just like, nosy neighbors in general are just hilarious because for the most part, Everybody wants to see them. They're only in the sitcom, you know, they're only like the little special guests. Like, here I am. Everyone always has a smile on their face. And right. they're hilarious. They're like, I, my sole purpose is to find out your business and then to leave. Like, I'm looking out the window. I'm finding everything I need to know. But, like, I don't have too many lines. I love it. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, so, great. do you have any nosy neighbor stories to tell about living in New York? 
Do you have one that sticks out? Well, the funniest thing about the nosy neighbor or just like, uh, I, I do the, the, I had a web series a few years ago called The Good Neighbor Minute where I would like come to people's apartments. And what makes me laugh about that so much is that I love people, hate company. Like, don't pop in on me. You know what I mean? And like, when I was growing up, my mom would be like, she would tell everybody, oh, my God, come in. If you're in the neighborhood, stop it. And then they would sometimes. You're just like, oh, what do you want? You know That's what I mean? terrible, like, yeah. It's like anytime the doorbell rings, I'm like, uh, volume down, not home. You know what I mean? And my mom would be like, come on in. What? So it's it's probably it was like like it's just a a way of like fighting back the anxiety from growing up. <laughs> Anytime I hear that doorbell ring, I'm like Jesus, gotta go I know. something nice, you know. <laughs> I know. We're like, is it time? Like, did we just order seamless? Does the laundry just come? Like, wait, that's what? Exactly <laughs> it. I only answer the door if it's seamless. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Domino's man is the only one who sees me that way. <laughs> Do you have um do you have like a best rejection story or anything like that? Oh, um probably from two thousand and eight until <laughs> until right now. <laughs> that's that's it. All right. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, let me think. Um, well, one that just came to the top of my head that I always think is is so funny is um, I auditioned for music, like I used to audition for musical theater, and I would see a lot of the same people because a lot of the, the, the this one company like always had auditions, and I never booked anything through them, but I would always sing like really cheesy like Broadway. I mean, I would have. <laughs> I would have been annoyed at me, and it was me, but, like, <laughs> and one time I went in there, and they were like, oh, we hate that song. Just turn around, face the wall, and sing it. <laughs> and I was so green. Like, I, I mean, I am still am, but, like, I was so, like, it didn't hit me that they were, like, making fun of me. I did. I, like, would have done anything. Oh and I gosh. did. And then it wasn't until I went home that I was like, huh, they're probably making a fool out of me. <laughs> Do you remember what song it was? Oh, God. Can I tell you? It was, oh, my God, this makes me cringe. I sang, like, a whole, like, Les Mis sound that I was singing on my own. No wonder they said that to me. No wonder. No wonder. (laughs) Um, But I will, I I have to say, because this has been such, this was such a, a moment in New York. So John Friedman is awesome producer, comedian. Um, he created a show called The Rejection Show that I do every year on Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the first time, it was like when I heard about a show, so basically um, it's the sh- a show where you read rejection. Valentine's Day, I tend to do like love rejection, but they, it can be any kind of rejection. It could be ca- career rejection. And Having that show and 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 being able to like submit to that show as corny as it sounds, it was like sometimes it, it would just the blow would be softened because you thought, okay, right. everybody's going through this. Like I'm not the only person. You know, it, I don't know if I'm if I'm like most people, but I I came from a a super supportive environment even when I was in in theater school so you come from this environment where everyone's like you're amazing and go do it and you're going to be great and then you get here and it's like 
you can't even get anyone to say hi to you. <laughs> right, right. So adjusting to that was 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 really difficult. Like, I mean, it was like like it was just like I was born in a different I had to live life all over again it was like all of a sudden you're away from your family you're trying to make this thing happen you don't even really know what you want to do you just know this is a path you want to go on so um having that and finding people that celebrate the rejection in your life made it all a lot easier because we all go through it so much sure right yeah and that's a really good way of looking at it, like celebrate it and, you know, own it and move on from it because something great is around the corner. It's true. I mean, and, and I feel like, um, you know, especially with auditions, like a lot of times you audition for something and then people will say, how did that go? And it's like, how did that go? That was like a week ago. Like I've already been rejected six more times. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't focus on anything. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, you mentioned how supportive your family was, and, you know, and you could tell that you come from a supportive family, you know, when we watched, you know, the video of um, oh, Hot Date, and you could tell that, like, you know, there, there was a lot of love that you were brought up with. Oh, is there anything that you won't talk about, or, like, your, does your family put, you know, the kibosh on, like, anything that, you know, on, for on stage? You know, they really don't. I mean, they, they're not... They weren't, like, the kind of people either who were, like, oh, my God, I'm mortified. Like, I did a one-woman show about my mom, and, uh, you know, because I'm an actor and you have to – that's, like, part of the <laughs> like, required. You have to do right. it. <laughs> but it was, like, really the first time that I performed something um, on my own. And, and you know, essentially you're, like, poking – I was, like, poking fun at my mom, but it was, like – like she was the she laughed the loudest because like <laughs> it's so funny to us and I think I grew up just like we laughed at all the silly things that we did and I I really it's a testament to my parents that I'm even able to take this rejection and and make it something fun and funny because that's kind of how I grew up like if I didn't right. make a team it was like we we laughed about it. Nothing was like the end of the world, like this is going to make or break your life. Right. So well, I was well, like happy to bring that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. field hockey. I wanted to be a field hockey player. No. <laughs> How dare they cut me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think we all have a story where like. <laughs> right? Oh, please. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. And, you know, um, we mentioned earlier, you know, how you were you're very animated on stage. You know, is there an animated character that you think best represents you? Hmm. Like something that's already been, like, like, uh, like, yeah, like a cartoon or something. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, let me see. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you're really good. <laughs> I try, thank you. <laughs> um, I would say, like, I, I'm, I guess, like, someone who's, like, a little spazzy, but then I also can bring it back, and then, I, you know how I, I love Strawberry Shortcake, you know, but I'm not, she's not really spazzy, she's just, like, really sweet and makes jam, so sometimes <laughs> I'm like her, <laughs> but then the other times I would say I'm just, like, Someone who's like a little more on the neurotic side. Um, I can't think. I mean, 
Kathy from the cat. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, like someone who's not able to, uh, like when we were talking earlier, it's like definitely someone who I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Like right. I, if, if I'm happy, you know I'm happy. If I'm sad, I'm you crying. You Oh, gosh. All right. And and finally, you know, you talk about your mom's cookies in the show, which was just such a yeah. funny part, you know, how she Aww. sent you with these cookies and stuff. What is your mom's best cookie? Oh, that's a good one. She makes a, a really good pastel. Um, uh, that's like an Italian cookie. Yes. And she also makes these um, – She this is, another, this is another kind of a, uh, Italian cookie, but they're like – there's like a – like an orange flavor to them, and they have little frosting and little sprinkles on them, and they don't necessarily—they're like the sweetest Italian cookie because Italian cookies mm. are a little bland. Right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this would be like the sweetest Italian cookies, and um, I know this isn't going to help the podcast, but next time I'm home, <laughs> and if I make them, I'm going to bring you some. For sure. I, I expect <laughs> you to do that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if I say it on the podcast, you know, what who's going to follow up? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Oh, you're well, so lovely. Awesome. Well, thank you. So are you. This is so good to talk to you. I mean, that, oh, how does, that wraps up all my questions. So. Oh, I'm so glad. Sorry. <laughs> so thank you so much for talking to us. I really oh, appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, you're awesome. And I hope to see you soon. And we're back. And that was my interview. <laughs> All right. Now, let me tell you, as soon as I was done editing that interview today, mm-hmm. I immediately posted up on Twitter like, you know, hey, Katina, thanks so much for being on the show. Sorry I wasn't a part of the interview. Um, hopefully, you know, we get to do it again sometime or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. Sure. But she immediately responded and said, oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was just like, what? And I'm totally holding her to those cookies, man. Oh, yeah. Especially yes. panoli. You love a panoli cookie. I love a It's my favorite cookie. I know it in is. In the whole world. And it's shocking to have somebody else mention it because usually nobody even knows what the hell that is. Look Pine at her, nuts. Look at her last name, baby. I know. I know. <laughs> Italians know what's good. They sure do. <laughs> I'm not even going to go where I usually would because I like her. But if it was just me and you. We'd be getting more letters. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about a couple of points that I have here. Um, Bringer shows. 25 people to a bringer show. Yeah, that is just (laughs) holy shit. That is extortion. That is absolute extortion, 25 people. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of bringer shows. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, you know... I have a whole class people who went through like the program and they have done bringer shows as well. And I've heard about people who've done bringer shows who weren't in the class. Never have I heard of a number of 25 people coming to a bringer show. It is a nightmare because a bringer show usually is not on the weekend. It's usually during a weekday. Sure. Yeah. And it's like the earlier show. It's the earlier show. It's usually, you know, 
put in a time and a place where it's like going, look, we just need to fill seats. So let's just get some like young, eager people in here that can invite their friends down. We could fill the club up on right. how we usually wouldn't have people and see what happens. And the impression that I get is that, you know, if you bring these people and they tip well and they drink well, the next time you, the comedian, gets booked, you have to be like, okay, well, you did so well with those people. Bring that many people to this show. Or, like, you know, does it build up like that? Well, that's hopefully the theory. And then there's, there's like, the positive and the negative of that. Like, you go to, like, let's say your first show. You can invite every single one of your friends to the first show, and you can have an audience of... You know, let's say if you get 25 people, because that's a lot of people to, like, bring to a club on, like, a Tuesday at, like, 7 o'clock at night, (laughs) you know? So you get 25 people. They all come to your first show. You do it. You kill it. Well, guess what? Chances are, if you're not writing every single day, if you're invited back a week later to do another bringer show... You're not going to have yeah, any material. Who material, are you going to yeah. ask to come back to go and do? To, like, what are you going to do? Say, hey, listen, man, I got the stage again, but this time it's for a Wednesday night. I'm clo- I'm creeping a little bit closer to Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to. I need you to come down, and your friends are going to be like, going, all right, we'll come down. And they'll listen to it, and they'll be like, dude, that was the same act. Like, why'd you have me come down for the same act? And then they're like, oh, wow, you did it twice. Let's do it a third time. We'll give you a Saturday night now. And now you're fucked because come Saturday night, you're like, who am I going to invite? Everybody's already heard this twice in the last two weeks. Because to be honest with you, I barely know 10 people that I could bring to like if I. (laughs) And that's the problem that you run into because, I mean, you know, basically you blow your whole wad literally like the first (laughs) time around because you want everybody to come and see it because you're excited. Sure. And and the bringer shows, thankfully, the bringer shows that what you know, that I was invited to were eight people. And you would think anybody could find eight people. No, you can't, you can't find eight people. Because, yeah, like, even if you have, like, those, like, you know, you know that many people, like, not everybody's going to want to go to a comedy club. Right. Not everybody's going to be able to, like, handle, like, the certain type of humor that might come with a comedy club because you don't know what you're going to get. So you have to prepare that you're going to have somebody who has different ideals than you (laughs) yes true that my friends is a little bit of foreshadowing (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know the other thing is is that when you have something like this and you have these people that like you you have your eight people that come down for a show and stuff like that you're asking people like hey listen after like a long day's work i want you now to like roam around the city for another for another hour and a half before showtime starts they don't even think about that. They don't care. Well, that's it. And but you have to like when you're when you're planning this out and you're thinking of like who am I going to invite to this thing? You've got to keep in mind like you're basically inconveniencing these people so that you can have a shot at whatever your dream is. Right. And you know, you do it in the beginning because you're eager and stuff like that. And then after a while it's like, "Oh man, I love being up on stage and doing it. It's scary and exhilarating and exciting and everything else." But at what cost are are you doing it? Like it's you're putting everybody you know in a position where they're just like, dude, we freaking can't stand you for making us go through this over <laughs> and over. But and that's a, and that was like a really interesting thing about Katina because it was like I asked her about like the open mics because 
man, open mics can be like brutal, you know, (laughs) like, so as we know, and you know how she, she found this like collective almost of comedians that instead of doing like, you know, the brutal open mics, which aren't really like, it's not constructive criticism that you get because you don't get laughs, you get nothing, you get absolute blank dead faces at a lot of you know, open mics. So I loved the, the fact that, like, Katina had that collective. And it was like, you know what? No, like, we are safe together. Like, you know, we feel comfortable with each other. And it was, like, just this, like, organic group that they kind of just created on their own. And then when they did have to do bringer shows, you have a built-in audience that, you know, yes, they might have heard your jokes, like, a million times, but... They want you to succeed because they helped you, you know, like take that from like a raw idea to something that's actually really right. funny. Right. So like there's an almost like an ownership value to like somebody else because like I know sitting there I was like, oh my God, like I want you to do so well and you did because it was like I was invested in it too. Like you're invested in each other's work. Right. And at a bringer show, it's different. You know, at a bringer show, you're bringing your friends. They want to laugh. They go, they're going out. They're like, look, man, if I'm going to go out of my way, I got to at least get a good time out of it. Yeah. The open mics, not so much. The open mics is just a bunch of comedians. They're all trying out their materials. And it's not that they're not laughing because they don't like your stuff or they're being mean or it's clickish. because I hear a lot of that. Mm-hmm. It's not any of that. It's just that in their heads, they're going over their routine before they go up on stage because so they don't want to tank. Yeah. No, they're just rehearsing in their head because that's what I do. Because I've been trying to dissect it like since you know the last time I've been on stage. And then when they go up on stage, they do it. It flows. And then after you get off stage, you're basically focused on where did I fuck up? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? And then you blink and the night's over. And you don't get it really that much pleasure out of it. There's not really that much enjoyment out of it. And like Tina said, she did one <laughs> open mic because she didn't believe there was anything good that was coming from it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's really not. But the, I would say the only benefit that might come from it is is you might get more comfortable on stage. Right, yeah. I think, like, every little bit helps, and I I think that's why people do them. Right. Because when you go on a real stage, like, you know, for a real show as opposed to an open mic show, it's a, it's it's like, holy crap, I'm really getting laughs. And now I have this energy that I can feed off right, of and yeah. go with. And, and, it, and it's a whole different world at that point in time. But you wouldn't know how good you got it on those good nights. Unless you went through those really, (laughs) really quiet nights first. (laughs) I could not ever do it. And I got to say, she would also be the perfect nosy neighbor. Oh, my God, yeah. And I can't believe she mentioned, like... Mrs. Poole? uh, Yeah. Little (laughs) House on the Prairie and the Hogan family. Like, I was just like, whoa. And I love that she was like, well, you might not know them. And I'm like, uh, hello. Yeah. We'll know them. But our listeners probably won't have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. We skew younger. We do skew younger. We do. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> oh, no, we, we skew. I think we skew all over. I think we... I think we, we skew all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. So... Oh, boy. And each other. <laughs> oh, my. Um, so, um, you know, I think that... It was a fantastic interview. You it did, really was. You did very, very well. Oh, my God. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really going to hold her 
to those cookies. Yeah, I am too. Because, you know, that's just what it is. We know how this business works. You scratch my back, I get cookies from you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. But I no, think- honestly, though, she she was fantastic. And I really hope we get a chance to, like, see her out in the city and stuff like that. Absolutely. And, and hang out with her. Because, I mean, soon we'll as we... will find you. <laughs> halfway through, I remember halfway through this special, you were like, I think I really want to be friends with her. <laughs> and can it's we true. and can we can i just say i, I just want to like I, I know we're running late on a show tonight Obviously. and stuff like that but i just i really think it's important to let people know the setup to the show itself because we watched <laughs> a show tonight before and you did make the comment of oh my god like we would really get along with that mm-hmm. like we would have a blast hanging out with this woman for sure like <laughs> if we would just had like a night out or mm-hmm. whatever yes yes and so um, I am at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jeff Goldblum and a couple of other people. <laughs> and a couple other my good <laughs> friends. <laughs> <laughs> maybe imaginary, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> but I get a text from Nikki saying, oh, my God, she called a half hour early. <laughs> and I was like, what? And before I could even respond, because I was going to send you pictures from this magnificent old building like just amazing you call me and i'm like what the hell is this now and i pick up the phone and you're like dude you're not gonna believe it (laughs) so i got home from work i always do and i was hot and sweaty and i stripped off all my clothes i'm in the bathroom and then the phone rings and i'm looking at it and i think it's the doctor first and i'm like i probably should answer it and then you do, and then it winds up being Katina. And you're like, <laughs> I'm on the bowl, and I'm I sweating. I was peeing. I was peeing. And I was like, that oh, makes shit. It so much better. Oh, shit. And I quickly and quietly washed my hands, because I don't ever go to the bathroom without washing my hands, because that is just a nastiness. Well, let me just say, if it was anybody else, though, you'd have been like, can't talk right now. Oh, fucking I ain't answering yeah, the phone. Yeah, but I was like, I'm not going to, like, do that. And I was just like, hey, man, I'll do it. Yeah, like, let's just do it now. Like, I'm home. I'm here. Like, I got home. Like, I, but I literally got out of work at four. And, like, it took forever for the trains. So I was just, like, so sweaty walking up. Like, because 145th Street has, like, a billion or 70 stairs to get to street level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was just, like, and it was so hot this week. So I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, oh, my God. So as I'm talking to Katina... I'm sitting on the sofa. Like, I didn't have time to get changed because I was just like, I'm going to take my clothes off. and I'm just going to, like, cool down a little bit. I'll go to the bathroom really quick. And then, like, I'll sit down and be ready to talk to her when she calls. And then there she calls. And I'm sitting on the sofa. And I am just covered in sweat and I'm like leaning back on the sofa the sofa cushions and I'm like sticking to it because I'm just like sweating all over the place it was so nasty but I'm glad that you that I kept it all calm cool and collected because I felt like I was losing my shit (laughs) (laughs) well yeah when I came home that night I was like I was like on cloud nine like oh my god I was with the most creative people and you're like oh tell me about it I was like the most creative people like seriously inspiring and then what do you say to me you say to me (laughs) <laughs> well, um, this week's interview might be a little bit all over the place because when I was, I got done yeah. peeing and then I immediately went into the interview. But I was completely frantic at the time. And I was just <laughs> like, what the hell is this interview going to be? But then it wound up being like really good. And I was like, you know, you make a mountain out of a molehill. I guess I did. You really did. And just for your 
satisfaction, Katina. I want you to realize, like, how impactful your special was to get Nikki off the bowl and onto the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> because I could tell you, it's not always easy. <laughs> Once I start playing my two dots, it's very hard to come off. <laughs> our luscious library in our resting room. <laughs> Filled with, like, entertainment magazines and whatnot. <laughs> whatnot. All I think right. it's time for a Did You Know. Actually, I'm thinking we're going to forego to Did You Know this week because we have run over our time frame. And I have one more thing that I would very much like to get to before we go this week. Our cup runneth over. So thank you so much, Katina. Yes, Katina, thank you so much. And we'll thank you again before we end the show. But before we do... <laughs> just, just cut all up. <laughs> I'm not cutting shit, man. It is way too late tonight. All right. No, but seriously, it was it was very, very awesome to have her. Now, I just want to make one last address before we wrap up this week's show. All right. And um, I just want to take a minute to talk about last week's show, if that's okay with you. Okay. All right. So, not that I want to justify the things that we talk about, because we shouldn't have to. No, and we won't. No. But the simple fact is, if you don't like us or our opinions, you really don't have to listen to us. True. Right. True. Yeah. All right. However, what gets me is when people don't actually listen to the show, but half read the description and then go on a rant about how insensitive we are to others. Or how insensitive they think we are because of something that we posted to entice people to read the show. Right. And it wasn't to the show. even really enticing. It wasn't we even. a synopsis. But rather than like giving it like a real listen through, you basically took the synopsis, pulled out what you wanted from it, yeah. and then like built a cause around it. Yeah. So. We, yeah. We basically said like last week's show, was it creative bullying or appropriation if you want to change a character that somebody else took, that somebody else made? Right. Right. You wouldn't, like, if that was, you know, if if somebody if you made that, you wouldn't want somebody else to take your character and change it. Exactly. So, end exactly. of argument. Right. Specifically dealing with last week's show, we're not anti-gay. No. We're not anti-race. Those of you who had listened to the show would have understood that, thus saving you from expressing your uninformed opinions. We are, however, anti-lazy, anti-theft, and have a seething hate for dumb people. Seething. Seething. How do you argue with somebody who knows half of the facts and aren't willing to educate themselves on an issue before arguing the, for their cause? See what I did here? I, you, you did air quotes. In That's the... right. I made air quotes. I made air quotes when I said the word cause. Mm-hmm. Because because there are so many goddamn causes these days. Everything's the, a cause. The words com- almost completely lost its meaning at this point in time. I'm going to have a cause about causes. I'd prefer no more causes, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> one, person, one person mentioned that we're in a good position of having this show where we can express our ideas and basically build a one-sided argument. We don't expect our listeners to agree with everything we say. These are our opinions. And and if you disagree with us, you could totally just reach out to us. Right. But that's what makes a show. It's like-minded people that find people and something grows from it. If there weren't people who like had the same thoughts as we did, we would have no listeners at all. 
Well, because fuck. it'd be like, we have, nothing, we have nothing in common with you. Yeah. Even, fuck, even Fox News started with just one person talking about their bullshit views. And then they yep. built up with that. So, shut up. <laughs> what we will not tolerate is uneducated people who just like to take action against things. Dun, dun, dun. They don't really know much about the benefits of their own agenda. Oh my god, it goes on forever like this. What the hell? I know, I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? But whatever. Yeah! <laughs> it's what last what week's show said. was about. You know, last week's show was about like going, get off your goddamn soapbox. If get you off. want to create something for yourself or you want something that represents you, go out and make it. Don't take somebody else's ideas, beliefs, art, creativity, and say, I'm going to just sit behind social media, throw a hashtag on that thing that was somebody already put so much time and effort into, and now change its gender, race, religion, whatever. It's like, it's not yours to fuck with. If you want something to, like, change and make yours, go find something Shit. Create something that is now representative of you. Shit. Even that horrible, horrible, horrible Fifty Shades of Grey shit. That was inspired directly by Twilight. Okay. Which was created by, oh, bringing full circle back to (laughs) Scholastic. Yes, indeed. So that was created as fan fiction, as like Edward and Bella or whoever the people are. And. Beast. Then it was turned, <laughs> and then it was turned into something else. So, like you know, as she fleshed it out, it became less, you know, parallel. You know, it, it became less parallel to, you know, uh, Twilight. It became its own thing. Right. So, like she took something and made it from something else. Right. And I can get behind that because every story starts with an existing story usually Mm -hmm. there is no such thing as an absolute original idea we've been around too long we've exhausted all original ideas so you can show something in a different light but to just outright say we're going to turn this character into you know this this is bullshit. Oh, Write a new character. Shit. You know, it's ridiculous. And I don't want to give any more time to this because I feel like we have yeah, completely think- runneth over our show time. But I just want to end by saying if you would like to express your own ideas on this matter rather than just writing to us directly, why don't you put it on your podcast? We'll give you a click. We'll listen through the whole thing. We'll comment on your podcast based on your ideas. You know why? Because you don't fucking have one. Because you'd rather just hashtag this one. Go fuck yourselves, you uncreative bastards. Drops mic. Drops (laughs) mic. Oh, my God. Because you're getting all rankled up again. I know. This is what happens. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this week. I promise we'll have a did you know next week. Um, Thank you so much to... Katina. Yes, thank you to Katina and Heidi for setting this up and you know Katina for talking to us. We really appreciate it. And be sure to check us out on all social media at High Regard Show. And you can also write to us at highregardshow at gmail.com and find us on the web at highregardshow.com.
That's Drops it. Mike. That's it, right? Yep. All right, everybody. Until next week. Only just begun to leave white lace and promises. A kiss for luck and we're on our way. Pulitzer Prize winner, famously reclusive. Why is Carmel MacArthur a reclusive author? Did his face burn off in a fire and he had a metal face and everyone's scared of his face? No.